Warning. Wicked wanderers may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Wanderers, and welcome to Wicked Wanderers Podcast. I'm your Wicked hostess, Jacqueline. I apologize for last week and not releasing an episode. I was extremely sick, had a double ear infection, couldn't hear out of one ear, and was slowly dying. Even a week later, I'm not a hundred percent, but I did not want to make you guys miss another episode. I hope everyone had an amazing weekend and went on a adventure. If you are new to this podcast, each week we travel to a different destination. I will discuss a haunted place, some dark tourism, as well as fun things to do while we are there. So pack your bags. We're going to Italy. Italy with its iconic countryside, amazing wine, deep history, and rich culture, it is a popular destination. There are endless places to see and things to do in this beautiful country. Today, I will be taking you to Polpi, Tuscany. Here are some travel tips when going to Italy. Understand Caperto. This is a gratuity that is actually applied and you do not have to tip additional. There is a specific time for coffee. You don't drink coffee during a meal, but after. Cappuccino is during breakfast only, and never drink past 11 a.m. There are cobbled streets and stairs. If you have a rolling suitcase, it will be difficult to travel. A duffel bag or backpack may be easier. Latte in Italian means milk. If you order a latte, you will just get hot milk. You will need to order a latte macchiato, milk with coffee. Espresso means fast and should be drank standing up. Never put Parmesan cheese on fish. Dinner always starts late after 7 p.m. Credit cards are widely accepted, but always make sure you have some small change in case you want to get something from the store. There is a minimum for credit card purchases. And always make sure you know a little bit of Italian so you can communicate while traveling. 
Now, our first destination is Popi, Tuscany. Popi is a small and delightful town 35 kilometers from Arezzo in eastern Tuscany. The town has the original medieval porticos, two fascinating churches, and a magnificent view of Castino Valley. What Popi is known for is its 13th century castle. Unlike other castles, Popi wasn't ruined by time or by men. Since its origins, the castle has been tied to one of the biggest feudal families, the Guidi family, that made Popi the center of their great estate. And they lived in the castle for almost 400 years. Though the first known existence of the castle is dated 1191, its architecture leads people to believe that the foundation originated two to three centuries back. Your first glimpse of this castle will leave you gasping. It has a particular charm and has captivated the great experts of the past, and it was the inspiration for the facade and the tower of Palazzo Vecchio in Florence. Popi Castle welcomes you with a lovely staircase, and its 102 steps lead you through the castle and up to the bell tower, where you will have a beautiful view of the surrounding valley. There are beautiful rooms, dungeons, and a chapel decorated by Taddeo Gatti. The atmosphere of the castle will bring you on a journey back in time to the Middle Ages. The tower of this castle is where our first destination is. It is known as Toro de Devalio, the Devil's Tower. The view is hidden by some old trees and the fact it is slowly decaying. In the streets below, you can get a glimpse of it while wandering towards the post office. The legend is of a woman named Matilda. She is said to be one of the first black widows. She was the most beautiful woman in the land, but she was married at a young age to the most powerful man in Pulpy. This man was part of the Guidi and ruled Tuscany with an iron fist. He was an old man, and much of his time was spent on military business. Matilda, of course, had no love for this man and had no desire to be with him. But she had no choice. He was somber of heart and did not fulfill her needs. Matilda was envious of the common people. She longed to have a life like that. So Matilda decided to get what she wanted. She would lure handsome young men to her castle. These men would do anything for her. She would have them spend the night in her chambers, and before the sun rose, she would have them leave quickly so she would not get caught. Unfortunately, these young men didn't know what they were in for, 
when they were getting into Matilda's bed. The back door wouldn't lead them out of the castle. It would lead them to death. A trap door would open. They would fall onto razor blades and broken glass, killing them slowly. She did not care how many men she killed, and her desire grew inside her. She truly enjoyed this. More men went missing, and the town began to notice. When people learned about her sick and twisted ways, they became furious. A large mob formed, and they overtook the castle and trapped Matilda inside her tower. They then bricked over the doors and windows, trapping her inside of the tower to die for her sins. That's gotta suck. I mean, so does killing a bunch of dudes, but that really has to suck. The ghost of Matilda is often seen as a woman in white. She will wander around the castle. She is most often seen standing in the window of the tower that she was trapped in. The Devil's Tower. The Castle of Pulpy is now open for tours and you can walk around the rooms. Though the legend of the Devil's Tower is a dark one, Tuscany is filled with so many amazing things to do in the area. What's better than a nice scenic walk? A scenic walk with amazing food. And look no further than the wonderful town of Parato for the Eat Parato Festival. Starting on the 2nd of October and continuing right up to the 22nd of January. This food festival has it all. Outings on foot where you are guided by a knowledgeable local and a astonishing selection of delicious food and drinks from that region. You will be taken to some of the most remarkable and fascinating architectural and historic gems in and around Parato. This is a wonderfully delicious way to get to know this part of Tuscany. Once you are full of delicious food and amazing wine, why don't you go see something truly unique? Stop by the town of Monto Pasciano during the month of August. This is during the time that Bravo del Bolti is held, a rather special annual race that takes place in each town during the summer. Representatives of each neighborhood compete by dashing to the center of the city while pushing a giant wine barrel. You can't say you see that every day. I personally love to do fun and unique things like this. You get the experience, something many people haven't heard or have ever seen before. Of course, you must have some food and wine in Tuscany. But don't forget about the brilliant landscape and views that is there. There are several incredible hikes you can do. If you don't want to get all sweaty or if you just don't have enough time to see everything, go over to the valley Vajili Soto and Luca, where you will find Vajili Park. This is an adventure park that has several zip lines, a suspended bridge, 
that you can see some of the most stunning landscapes around. There are other things you can do at this park, but the best experience you will have is the zip lines. There are three different options. You can choose the angel flying with your body parallel to the ground like an angel or Superman, freestyle or seated. You start off fast, but this thrilling flight across the lake and over the old town of Vajili Soto is a great way to get all the views. I know there's a lot of history and plenty of museums in Tuscany, but I'm not a museum kind of girl. I much rather go places and then if there's enough time, I will go to a museum. But I'm really not a fan of it at all. My boyfriend loves museums and I'm always the one against it. And if you are anything like me, follow me to Cala Volina. Cala is Italian for cove. This is a public beach that is in the shape of a half moon. White sands and crystal clear water. The blueness of the water and the whiteness of the sand combined with the greenery of the woods provides a sublime image. The water is so clear you can see every little fish swimming around and even grains of sand. The beach is only accessible by foot, bike, or by horseback. There are pay parking kiosks, and it's about a two-kilometer walk through the beautiful nature preserve to get to this beach. Never leave anything behind. Always pick up all your trash. There are no bars except for a track with coffee, sandwiches, and cold drinks. No bathing establishments, so make sure you're well prepared. The shallow shores make it a great spot for families, and there are picnic areas. What I like about this beach is that it is public, so you don't have to go to some fancy resort and spend a shitload of money to be able to get a great beach. Make sure you arrive early, get a spot, pack a cooler for the day, and enjoy the amazing waters the Tuscan coast has to offer. And now it's time for our final destination. Let's get wicked. We are going to the Volteria Psychiatric Hospital. I don't think it gets much darker than a psychiatric hospital. I love dark and spooky stuff but it would take a lot to get me into an abandoned or shut down psychiatric hospital or asylum. This is mainly because bad shit happened there. The sheer brutality many suffered in these places and the dark energy and forces that linger are truly terrifying. And the Volterra Hospital has exactly that. It was built in 1887. And then in the 1900s through 1934, it expanded. Several buildings were built and the hospital became sort of a village. It had various structures, including a carpentry area, a bakery, and even a furnace used to create bricks for the construction of the pavilions. Luigi Scabia, 
introduced ideas that were revolutionary for the time. During his time at the hospital, the patients were granted greater freedom than the standards at the time. He utilized a large range of work activities from agriculture to the production of objects. His idea was to give back some humanity and dignity to the patients. I mean, that doesn't sound too bad. But electric shock and lobotomies were still practiced. This concept, just like so many other places, was a great vision that simply just didn't last long. Scabia ended up retiring in 1934 and died shortly after. He was actually buried on the grounds with the patients that had passed there. And no surprise that the hospital took a turn for the worst, if it hadn't already happened while he was in charge. Now this is crazy. There were 20 sinks and two toilets for every 200 patients. How the fuck does that work? 200 people, two toilets. I don't, I can't even imagine. One could be locked up at the first sign of depression, schizophrenia, or even due to accusations of political and moral transgressions. And pretty much anything if somebody wanted you gone. So there were people there did not need to be there. The hospital was infamous for the use of electric shock treatment, which we all know didn't help anybody. They also induced comas in patients with insulin, which was pure torture. And I have discussed insulin comas in previous episodes. This would not help the patients. And many never came out of those comas. Of course, the torture got worse. Pills and poisons were administered for testing purposes. That's some sadistic shit right there. I really wonder how these people were. Were there just like a bunch of fucking psychopaths running these places? Like, hey, let's just test how these pills will work and these poisons. On these people. Not like they're people or anything and they'll feel the pain and they'll die, but let's just do it. You have to be a real fucking sadist to do shit like that. There was complete disregard for the patients and the test often had irreversible consequences. Patients were sedated, isolated, or placed in tanks full of ice. The rooms had prison grates on them, and they contained spy holes, which suggested that patients were under constant supervision. And remember, there were 6,000 people, two bathrooms for 200 people. The nurses were called guards or superiors. Clearly, the patients weren't even considered people to them. Regulations said that nurses are not required to communicate with the families of the sick. 
or give news, updates, or send out letters or objects to them, and vice versa. They are literally trapping these people, and their families can't even help them because they don't know that anything is wrong. There are thousands of letters still at the hospital that were written by patients with pleas for help describing what they were going through that were never sent. That is so fucking sad. Just imagine that feeling so trapped. Just knowing that you're never going to get out of this. Nobody's ever going to help you. I can't even imagine how those people felt. This hospital was called the place of no return. Patients were sent to be cured, but never returned home. The cruelty never stopped. Patients were tied to their beds, placed in straight jackets, and continuously tortured. The famous graffiti of Fernando Oristi Naniti, a patient NOF4, NOF, or NANOF, as he is preferred to be recognized as and signs his name, covers the walls of this hospital. In 1958, Fernando, about 30 years old, had already spent 10 years in a mental hospital in Rome for insulting a public official. Again, not for a mental reason, but for insulting a public official. He was transferred to the hospital and spent over a decade in this hellhole. He carved 180 meters on the outer wall, recording many years of hospitalization, an encyclopedia of feelings, biographies, and crimes witnessed and suffered at the hospital. Words, poems, and drawings were etched into the yellow plaster by a buckle on his vest, which was part of his uniform. When the hospital was closed, he was transferred to another psychiatric hospital, and unfortunately, he died there. So this man spent from 30 to death in psychiatric hospitals just because he insulted a public official. That's not right at all. The Hospital of Horrors was opened until 1978. It was closed due to a new law, and its practices were deemed too cruel. Well, no fucking shit. Still, two bathrooms per 200 people. I can't get over that. That's fucking awful. Just imagine what those bathrooms look like. Looking like something straight out of a horror movie, the crumbling buildings that had once housed the psychiatric hospital still stands. If you walk down the asylum's private street, you will reach the building that was most recently constructed. There are four structures in total. The hospital is now severely damaged by vandals, and the windows have fallen in. 
The outside walls are covered in spray paint graffiti. Inside, you will still see a few items that were left. Wheelchairs, rusty beds, bathrooms with little tubs, chairs scattered everywhere, and artwork from the patients. Don't forget all the letters that were left there. You can explore the decaying corridors and have a glimpse in time of what the patients had to go through. If you wish to see this building, you can at your own risk. It's just those times, those hospitals just did such horrible shit to these people. Like, they weren't even people. And it breaks my heart. And this concludes my episode of Wicked Wanderers. Please rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Links to where I got my information are in the show notes. I do write, edit, and produce this podcast by myself. If you wish to donate to the cause, you can at patreon.com slash wickedwanderers. Pictures of everything discussed in this episode will be posted on my Instagram, wicked underscore wanderers podcast. If you have visited any of the places mentioned in this episode, please email me your experience at wickedwandererspodcast at gmail. If you have any suggestions, stories, please also email those to me at wicked underscore wandererspodcast. Thank you for listening to my episode. I greatly appreciate everything you guys do for me. And as always, wander more and stay wicked.